and welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. Well, I want to welcome everyone. Welcome those who join us online as well. Uh, let's open up with a word of prayer this morning. Lord Jesus, we, uh, we thank you for everything that we sung is absolutely true. That you, being the King of kings and Lord of lords, you stepped out of heaven into the lowliest of places, born in a manger, in order to rescue us. And you showed to us the heart of that good, good father. And so, Lord, this morning, as we look at a concept, an idea that is throughout your word, uh, would you begin to open up our eyes? Maybe this is something we've heard before. Maybe it's something we've only heard in part. But I pray, Lord, that more than just knowledge, that we would see the power and the life that comes from this incredible truth. And so I'm excited for what you have in store for us. Be the teacher, Lord. Uh, Speak through me, but make it real to people's hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, we've been, we've been moving quickly through our story uh, of Abraham. Uh, the, we spent two weeks going through chapter 12 and then one week on chapter 13 and another cha- uh, week on chapter 14. We're just blowing through this book, uh, but it's all going to slow down right now. We're going to take our time now and, and really kind of dive into what, what transpires here in chapter 15. Because in chapter 15, what we're going to discover is that God binds himself to a very special promise. And without any hyperbole, hyperbole without any over-exaggeration, I'll say that one. That's an easier word to say. Um, it's the single most important promise that God makes. In fact, all the other promises that we read, that we look at, are rooted back to this one promise in Genesis 15. It's that important. And so before we could dive into it and understand this passage and understand the promise, we need to take a step back and have a a better understanding of this concept called covenant. For that's the promise that God's binding himself to. He's making a covenant with Abraham. And, and something to maybe help us understand is this, this book here, the, the Holy Scriptures, the Bible, is really a book of covenants. It's a covenantal book. And, and what I mean by that, it's a, it's a series of covenants. Um, the first covenant, in fact, that we learn about through the prophet Hosea is actually the covenant that God made with Adam. And so that was the first covenant we see. We see another covenant that God makes with Noah. Uh, to, to promise to never flood and destroy the earth or destroy the earth through flood. And he, that rainbow was meant to be a reminder of that promise of that covenant. Or we've got the covenant that God gives Israel through Moses, the, the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant. We've got a covenant that God makes with King David, that David will always be, or a descendant of David will always be on the throne. And then we're going to have the covenant that we're going to look at, which is God made with Abraham. And, and what's important to understand is that all of these stories, all of scripture really has covenant as a backdrop, as a sort of underlying concept or, or context in which we need to understand that. And, and if we don't recognize that, then some of the stories that we read or some of the things that are said won't make as much sense to us. They won't, they won't have the same kick or same power, or we'll just look at them and think that's weird. That's strange. For example, 
How many of you have read the story in, in Genesis 19? That's the story of Lot. He's in Sodom and Gomorrah and, and Sodom, or he's in Sodom, I guess, but the men of Sodom come because these two angels appeared uh, in Lot's home. And these men come and they're banging on the door of Lot, demanding that Lot hands over these two men. They didn't know they were angels, or we think they might have, but they're demanding these two men to have sex with them. And what does Lot do? Don't do it. Take my daughters instead. How many people have read that story and thought that's a little strange? My daughter is raising her hand. She's, she's like, wait, uh, we got to talk about this one, right? Well, we, we wouldn't understand that because we just were looking at it. And it seems odd to us. But when you start to understand covenant a little bit more, and hopefully today, it still will be odd to us, but at least there's a reason for it. There's, there's a backdrop for it. It starts to make a little bit more sense. Or there's another story in Kings where the, the King Jephthah makes a vow that if God, if you deliver us in this battle, that the first thing I see when I return home, I will sacrifice it to you. And so they are victorious. They win the battle and he comes home. And who's the first thing he sees to welcome him home? His daughter. It's not good for daughters, Zoe. I'm sorry. It's, uh, it's not a good day, right? And, and he doesn't want to, but he made a covenant. He made a vow. And even his daughter recognized that and said, it's okay. And so we read that and it doesn't make sense to us. But when you start to understand covenant, it makes a little bit more sense, right? Now, let's apply that now for us. How many of you have struggled at times wondering, will, will God turn his back on me? Or struggle with maybe, maybe God won't forgive me this time. Or you've struggled with maybe, maybe God won't really come through and care for me and provide for me. Or maybe he's kind of sick and tired of me and he's, he's kind of abandoned me and left me to my own devices here. Left me because of my sin. If, if you struggled with those thoughts, if you struggled with those ideas, then learn about covenants. Because that's really where that answer is going to be found. Understanding the strength and the power of the covenant, but also understanding what does the covenant say? Because when you put those two together, you're going to find a lot of freedom. Because you're going to understand the promises and you can act on those promises. See, Daniel understood covenant, which is why he knew that he'd only be in captivity for 70 years. And so towards the end of that 70 years, he was getting ready to leave. Ezra and Nehemiah understood covenant because that's why they went to the king of Babylon to ask for their freedom, to ask to go back and, and rebuild the temple and rebuild the city walls. David understood covenant, which is why he was willing to challenge Goliath. He knew that he had the covenant on his side. And so he was willing to step out in faith. King David's descendants, although they weren't good men, many of them, many of them were horrible kings, they remained on their throne because God made a covenant with David that the descendants of David will always be on the throne of, of Jerusalem. And that was fulfilled in the King of Kings, which is Jesus, a descendant of David. Meanwhile, you had the Northern 10 tribes and their Kings, they couldn't get past the second generation. Some of them couldn't even get past the first generation. They're constantly turning over families because of all the fighting going on because they didn't have a covenant there. Or when you're reading scriptures and you come across certain words, see there's certain language within a covenant. And, and we, we miss it sometimes in our translations, but every time you see the word loving kindness in your Bible, in the Old Testament, that, that's the Hebrew hesed. 
And it's a covenant word. It means it's a loaded word. It means so much more than just be kind, be merciful, be gracious. It's a promise of loving kindness. It's a promise of grace and mercy and compassion. It's why, in fact, translators have so much trouble translating that one word because it's, it's loaded with meaning to it. And so you read through, say, Psalm 136, and every other line refers to God's loving kindness. It's an appeal to the covenant. That's why David would say, don't forget your loving kindness towards me. Don't forget your covenant. There's so much power to all these promises here. But quite frankly, us in the West, we, we don't understand covenant very well. In fact, you listen to people talking about covenant and they often will say, well, it's, it's like a contract, right? It's like what Shohei Otani signed uh, this week, right? It's just a big contract and that's what covenant is. But the reality is a contract is easily broken. A contract doesn't mean a whole lot. People violate contracts all the time, but you would never do that with a covenant. A covenant was far more powerful, far stronger. So to kind of compare a contract to a covenant is kind of like saying a tricycle is the same as a Ferrari. I, I get, I mean, they both got wheels. They both get you from A to B, but they're not the same thing. And if you're not sure, go drive a Ferrari, right? That, that's the lesson. Go drive a Ferrari, right? So there's so much difference between a contract and a covenant. Covenant is so much bigger, so much more powerful that you would never dare break a covenant. But we've mostly forgotten that in the West. Now it's, there's echoes of it. For example, how many of you growing up uh, wanted to become a blood brother with a friend of yours? Anyone? Showing your age, if you raised your hand, yeah, a lot of gray hairs. I did it too, right? And, and the, the, the practice is kind of disgusting, but basically what you would do is you would each kind of put a little cut in your hand and then you'd shake hands, right? And if that was like, well, that's too much, then what would we do instead of blood? That was for joy. That was for joy. Just, just imagine that in your head for a little bit, right? So, so that's, that was a covenant act where you were entering into a covenant with someone else. It's essentially what David and Jonathan did when they entered into a covenant, a pact together. We, we have other covenants. Our, the last will and testament is a covenant. Free trade agreements between countries is a covenant of sorts. And I say of sorts because it's, it's morphed into more of a contract because people don't, they don't fulfill their, their side of the deal all the time. But a covenant is so much more. Maybe the most, most common covenant in the West is marriage. But you can see how little we understand covenant by how little we regard marriage. See, we treat marriage like a contract. Yes, I'm married. I've entered into a contract with you for now. Until I don't feel love anymore. Until you don't meet my needs anymore. Until you don't make me happy anymore. And then I will break the contract. I will break the marriage and I'll go find it somewhere else. Well, that's not what covenant is. Covenant is something far stronger. Hence the reason till death do us part. That's the strength of a covenant. And, and maybe if we understood that more, we, it would change our view on marriage. It would change our view on relationships with people. 
All right, let's, let's start with defining what a covenant is with some, some word study. So in, in Hebrew, the word is berit. And, and it's, it's a hard, again, hard word for them to translate, but it can be understood as a, a, to bond with or to make an obligation towards another. Again, even think about that in our marriage concept, right? In, in marriage, it's what do I get out of it? And as long as I'm getting what I want out of it, I'm okay. But a berit is an obligation you have towards another person. It isn't about what the other is doing. It's what are you doing towards them? What's your side of the deal? And so to enter into a covenant, what you are saying is these are the obligations that I agree to owe you. This is my attitude towards you. Often in scripture, we, we read about it being uh, referred to as to cut a covenant. And the, the reason for that, that word cut, it's sometimes translated as made, but, but the word is actually cut is because it would involve cutting of the skin. And in fact, many times what they would do is, is when, when uh, chieftains of tribes would get together and they'd enter into a covenant, not only would they, would they slice their arm on either their forearm somewhere or on their hand somewhere, but they would actually then put powder, the gunpowder or dirt into it to actually cause it to scar, to make the scar visible and big. Because what they wanted to do is to look down wherever that cut was to see the scar as a reminder of the covenant they're in. Does that make you think of anyone? Bonus points if you're thinking about Jesus and the scar that he has, right? You can come to the front row if you got that one, right? So, so he's, he leaves that scar there. No one came to the front row. I'm a little disappointed now. I'm not, so he left the scar there. Because remember when Thomas saw him, he saw the scar. He leaves the scar there as a reminder of the covenant he's made for you and I. Right? So that idea of to cut a covenant, the Greek word is diatheke. And it, again, it means the covenant, it means to bind yourself to. And that's really what, what we're seeing here. And so let's think of some examples. And again, it, it, it happens more often in Eastern culture or in, in Africa, there's still many tribes that practice this, this covenant idea. And so you think about tribe A and tribe B would come together and they would make a covenant with one another. So maybe tribe A is a, a tribe of warriors, of hunters. And so they're strong and they, they battle well and they're able to take down the animals, the big game. And, and they're really good at that, but they're not so good with farming or, or making the weapons and blacksmith and so forth. So that's, that's where they're weak on. Fortunately, they got tribe B and tribe B is really good at the farming and the making of weapons and tools and instruments, but they're not a group of warriors. They're not a group of hunters. So these two tribes would come together and they would enter into a covenant. And basically what's happening now is, is tribe A, the hunters say, we will share our food with you or the animals that we take, take, take down, we'll share that with you. And we'll offer you protection because that's what we can do. That's our obligation to you. If you are attacked, we are attacked. That's the, that's the covenant they made. And tribe B would say, we, we know you don't have a lot of potatoes and vegetables and so forth. And they're supposedly good for you. So we will offer that to you. And, and your weapons, your spears, your swords, you're not good at making them. We will make them for you. And so it's ours is yours. What yours is, is ours. That's this idea of, of the covenant coming together. And in fact, tribe A would now be known as tribe AB. And tribe B would be known as tribe BA. 
because they were now seen as one. They were bonded together. And again, often what they would do is the chieftains would come together and they would, they would cut themselves and they would share blood because what they're happening is now we're a one blood. You are me and I am you. We're one. And there's a, such a bond there. They'd say that if, if I break my covenant, let me die. You see the blood, the blood in that culture. See for us, when you, we think blood, we often think death, but not in the East, not in ancient cultures. When they see blood, they think life. Remember what the scriptures say, the life is in the blood. So when you're putting the blood together, when you're mixing that, you're mixing lives, you're, you're joining together. And that's this bond. That's the strength of these two tribes are together. So they would cut themselves and often they'd scar themselves. They would share a meal together. There'd be a sacrifice of an animal and they would take that sacrifice. They'd, they'd consume the animal and then there'd be a celebration together. Again, we see elements of that in our marriage minus the blood part, right? But there's, there's a coming together. So when, when Joy and I got married, everything that was mine became hers, right? And everything that was hers is still hers. Everything that was hers became mine. So think about it. When, they, when we come together, let's say, let's say she has some debt because she's still in school and she's paying off school debt, but now we're married. Whose debt is it now? It's my debt. Right. And, but I've been working and I've been saving up some money. And so I got some money in the bank account and now it's don't tell her, but it's hers. Right. Belongs to her. Now we're one. And what happens to her happens to me when she's doing well, therefore I'm doing well. If she's not doing well, then I'm not doing well. And it's more than happy wife, happy life. That, that's such a weak cliche. That's not what I'm speaking about. It means that we're a team and we're together. and We're one. Someone comes after her, they come after me and vice versa. We're together, we're one. That's the bond we have. And, and hence the reason at marriages, there is often a meal and a celebration because it's a coming together of oneness, right? So we, we see that in, within, um, within families and tribes and so forth. There's a, there's a famous story, uh, less famous now because as time goes, but how many people have heard the, the phrase, Dr. Livingston, I presume? Have you ever heard that one, that phrase, right? Well, it's a, it's a famous story from, I don't know, what, 150, 200 years ago where this Dr. Livingston was, was a missionary across Africa and he got lost. He stopped writing letters back home. And so his friend, uh, Dr. Stanley went looking for him. And, and this became a famous story. It took him months and months of crossing Africa and, and eventually he found him. And that's when he uttered the famous words, Dr. Livingston, I presume. But he tells a story about how he was crossing Africa and he, he had some digestive issues. So he brought with him his own goat so he could have his own goat milk. And he came up to a, a tribe and to a chieftain and, and he needed permission to pass through the area. And so he one entered into a covenant and, and that, that covenant had to be a trade. There was going to be a sacrifice and blood was going to be spread, uh, spilled. They were going to enter into a blood covenant together, Dr. Stanley and this chief. But the chief said, I want the goat. I need the goat. I want goat. And Dr. Stanley was afraid because he needed the goat himself. But he knew he had to give up something to enter into covenant. So he did. He gave up the goat. And in return, he got a, a giant spear 
covered in copper. Which when you got digestive issues, let me tell you, a copper spear is not what you need, right? So he's looking at it and thinking, yay, great, let's, let's go. And he starts moving, but he didn't realize is that when he got to the next tribe and they saw the copper spear, they knew that copper spear belonged to who? The other chieftain, whom they were in covenant with. And therefore they bowed down to this man. And he didn't realize that in trading the goats and getting this copper spear, he got way more. Because now he could ask for anything. He could ask for four goats and they would give it to him because of the covenant that he had entered into with this chieftain. That's the power of covenant. That's the strength that this thing has. Now, often what happens is these covenants are being made, especially today, between two people or two groups or maybe even two countries that are of equal power, right? So when I talk about tribe A and tribe B, they maybe are, are two equal powering nations and they, they don't want to go to war with each other. They don't want to fight each other. So they say, let's enter into covenant. Let's have peace together in a treaty. And so there's, there's equal powers in that sense. But then there's the odd time where you have a Susie Rain covenant. And this Susie Rain covenant is basically, there is one party that is way stronger, way more powerful than the other, but they're willing to enter into covenant. I say that's rare because think about it. If tribe A is way more powerful than tribe B, what would they often do? Just go to war, take them over right? You're now ours. It's not tribe AB and tribe BA. It's just tribe A. You're our slaves. Go make vegetables. Go make our weapons. We're in charge. That's often how it happened. There would be no covenant. It would be just a destruction, a takeover. But a suzerain covenant would be, we do have that power, but we choose not to exercise it. Instead, we, we humble ourselves. We enter into covenant with you. Again, how many great kings would leave their throne to come into humble places? And yet that's what we see with Jesus. In parts of Africa, they, they practice something called touch covenant. And, and a touch covenant is a, is a limited covenant. It's not as powerful as a blood covenant or other kind of covenants. But basically what happened is if you walked into a bank, you would come up to the bank teller and you would put out their, your finger and they would put out your finger and you guys would touch fingers. And you're entering into a covenant that says, I won't betray you. I won't lie. I won't be dishonest. I will act with integrity. And the bank teller is promising the same thing. So as long as you're at that, 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 that table together, as long as you're doing business, you're entered into a covenant because that's the strength of this covenant together. The most important kind of covenant, particularly for us, is this blood covenant though. There's a, there's a phrase in the Middle East that says blood is thicker than milk. And, and what that means is that um, I, would, I would betray my, my brother who we, we, we shared the same breast. We nursed from the same woman. That's the milk part in order to keep my covenant through blood with someone else, with a friend. So what that means is if, if I entered into a, a covenant with Greg and now Greg has an issue with my brother, Paul. I will side with Greg because I'm in covenant relationship. Blood is thicker than milk. So it's not about the blood being the family part, blood being the covenant part. That was the kind of covenant Dr. Stanley entered into with the chief in Africa. 
This morning though, what I want to focus in on is one kind of covenant in particular, and it's called threshold covenant. And I think uh, this, this threshold covenant is, is pretty amazing and we'll see elements of it throughout scripture. But basically when you, when you enter into a home, you cross over someone's threshold and in doing so you've entered into a covenant that says, I will do you no harm and you will do me no harm. And again, there's, there's elements of that, particularly in different cultures, right? And in Latin cultures, they often have a phrase, mi casa, e su casa, right? That means my house is your house. So help yourself. The fridge is over there. There's glasses and cups and plates over there. Like whatever you want, we're here to serve. We're here to, it belongs to you now because they've entered into that kind of a, a covenant together, a, a threshold covenant. Now, that's a simple form of it, but, but often they would be more of a ceremonial aspect of it, particularly when you are welcoming someone of significance, someone of importance. So what, what people would have, particularly in biblical times or even, even today in, in the Eastern culture, Middle East in particular, they would have the fatted calf. And that fatted calf is someone that they've set aside in case the king ever comes to visit. And they're just keeping it fatted, keeping it fed. Because if the king ever comes, then what they're going to do is they're going to take that fatted calf and they're going to sacrifice it, not just for the meal, but for its blood. And so what they would do is they take the blood of the sacrifice and they would pour that blood into the threshold basin. So you kind of have to imagine now uh, a doorway, right? You've got the door, door posts and then the, the header over top or the lintel over top, but they would have a basin, a bit of a, a dip right at the bottom, at the threshold. We don't do that in Canada because the draft would be just brutal, right? But, but in the East, that's what they would often do. They'd have a basin there and they'd pour the blood into that basin. And then when that guest of honor would come, they would step over the threshold, they would step over the basin and they would enter into that covenant. And the more valuable the animal sacrificed, the more value that you were bestowing on the guest, the more honor that you were bestowing them, right? So if it was someone that you didn't really care that much about, you just go find, you know, a squirrel out there, right? If there was someone a little bit more important, maybe you'd get the, the family gerbil, right? Or or maybe then you get the fatted calf again for when the king comes. One man tells a story about a Syrian man who was very wealthy and, and he had a guest coming. And so he, he takes this beautiful, expensive stallion to go in and, and sends the stallion to go welcome the guest when he gets off the train. And then he, you know, the, the guest rides the stallion all the way home. And when he gets there, he gets off the stallion. And he says, what do you think of the horse? Oh, it's a beautiful horse. Oh, and it's so noble. What a great, great, great creature, great animal this is. And he goes, oh, I spent so much money for this. And then he took the horse and he slaughtered the horse right there and poured the blood into the basin. You and I are a bit appalled by that because we don't understand covenant. But this man knew the honor that was being bestowed upon him. That the blood of this great animal was being sacrificed shows the value that this man had in the guest of honor. And so they'd step over this threshold. Again, we see elements of this. If you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 10, 
We see, we see this as a backdrop. Again, we read it and we don't, we don't fully understand it, but the people of Jesus's day would have been thinking in a covenant mindset. They would have understood this more. But in John chapter 10, beginning in verse one, Jesus says, truly, truly, verily, verily, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. You see, what would happen is if you entered in through the door, you had to honor the covenant. You are now in a, a threshold covenant. But if you came in through the window, you weren't in covenant. So that's what the thieves would do. They would come into the, through a window because they, therefore they were allowed to rob you. They were allowed to do whatever they wanted to. But if they came in through the door and they did that to you, they would now be under the curse of the covenant. See, to break a covenant isn't just a little slap on the hand. To break a covenant is to promise death. In fact, what would happen in families even, if you broke a covenant, the family would go and kill you because you brought such dishonor and disrepute to the entire family because no one would want to enter into covenant with you. So, so this was serious business. And so Jesus is saying that, that the thief comes in other than the way through the door right? That, that um, the thief, the robber comes in some other way. Verse two, but he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. Jump down to verse seven. Jesus said to them again, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And all who come bef came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep do not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and I will go in and out and will go in and out and find pasture. So he's saying, I'm the covenant entrance. If you come through me, this threshold covenant, I will care for you. I will protect you. I will look after you. Because that's what this is, the threshold covenant. It's a great story I heard about a, a man, a Palestinian in Jordan. And he was, he was hearing about this. And he, he said to the guy who was talking about the threshold covenant, he said, that saved my life. And he tells a story of when he was in Jordan, he was, he was driving and, and, you know, crazy driving in, in the Middle East and everything. And, and this young, young boy ran out in front of his car and he got hit by the guy. And, and he jumped out of the car and he, he, he swept the kid up and he realized the kid was not in good shape. And so he, he kind of rushed the kid to the hospital as quickly as he could and handed him over to the doctors and nurses and they immediately start looking after him. Well, he's kind of in shock. He's stunned. He can't do very much now. And so he, he kind of goes back to the scene of the accident in his car and he, he's just covered in blood and he's looking at himself and he's like, I, I, I need to clean up. Goes and he knocks on a door and says, there's an accident. I'm, I'm covered in blood. Can I, can I come in and clean myself up? And the, and the husband and the wife said, absolutely, come on in. And so he goes in and he's, he goes to the bathroom and he's cleaning himself off. And all of a sudden, bursting through the door come the, the wife's parents. And they're mad and they're screaming like someone has hit your brother with a car. We're going to find him and we're going to kill him. Well, didn't take long for them to put two and two together to realize that the man in the bathroom was the man that hit their son. And so now the, the father of the son, the father of the wife is like, I'm going to kill him. But the husband, the son-in-law says, not in my house. Because if you're going to kill him, you have to kill me first. He's in my house. He's under my protection. And I'm going, to do, I'm going to honor my covenant. Now, the moment he leaves the house, we're both after him, just so we're clear. But in my house, he's got my protection. 
At which point do you think that man's leaving the home? No, no, he's sticking around. You have a house guest now. Now many hours passed and, the, and, and tempers calmed down and the boy was okay. And people shared the story. It wasn't this man's fault. And they all agreed. And then probably a few hours later when he was really confident, he left the house finally. But that was this threshold covenant that, that offered protection even to the point where this, this brother-in-law was hurt. He says, I will not, I will not violate that. How many of you guys, when you got married, when you came home for the first time with your beautiful blushing bride, you picked her up in your arms and you crossed the threshold of your home. How many guys did that? I did that. I had no idea why I did it. But when we got home to Toledo to our little apartment there, I, you know, before we, I unlocked the door, I opened the door and I swept her up my arms and I stepped over the threshold together. Again, not knowing why, it was just tradition. But it was an echo of this threshold covenant. I was practicing threshold covenant. I was bringing her into my home and saying, I enter into a covenant, not just of marriage, but this threshold of protection, of love of caring and providing. Again, if we understood covenant, I think it could revolutionize our marriages. For how many people have heard the phrase, step on a crack, break your mother's back. That's threshold covenant. You see, what you would do is if you wanted to insult your host, you wouldn't step over the threshold. You'd step right in it. And that was an insult. Because that, that blood, that life that was in the, the basin was the host. And to step on the host was a great insult. Remember in the, this is many years ago, uh, George Bush, uh, George W. was, uh, was at a press conference in, 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 uh, in Iraq or, or somewhere in the Middle East. And, and this man takes off his shoe and throws it at George and he ducks. He's quick. So another shoe comes, ducks again. Great clip on YouTube, funny to watch. But what this man was, why was he throwing a shoe at him? It was an insult. He was trying to step on him, essentially. It was that threshold covenant. So you step on a crack, it's like stepping on a threshold. You break your brother's back. You're bringing a curse into your family. You're offending them. That's why Lot had to protect these two men. It's not that he didn't love his daughters, but he understood covenant. And that was the bind he was in. Now we can argue whether or not it was wise of him. And maybe there's other options than just offering your virgin daughters to these, these sex crazed maniacs. But at least we understand why he did it. It was because of the covenant that he had entered into these two men. He was obligated to protect these two men with his own life. And these daughters was his own life. And that's what he was doing. Is that making sense? All right, let's, let's apply this now to a particular moment in history, to a particular story in scripture, and it's the Passover, right? We, we're familiar with that story. You've probably read it many times, right? E Israel is, is captives right now. They're slaves in Egypt. And Moses has come to lead the, lead the people free. But does Pharaoh just immediately send the free cheap labor away? He says, no. And so God is bringing plagues upon Egypt to force Egypt's hand. And there've been nine plagues up to this point. 
And the plagues are multi, multi-part, multifaceted. Yes, it is to, to push Egypt into letting uh, the Israelites go. It's also to punish Egypt for the abuse that they've bestowed upon Israel. But it's also to show Egypt and to show the entire world that the gods of Egypt, which would have been seen as the most powerful gods because Egypt was the most powerful nation at the time, but that the gods of Egypt don't stand a chance to Yahweh. The Yahweh is the one most high God, the one true God. And so all of this is happening and they come to the 10th plague now, which is that the firstborn of every Egyptian household will die. Again, that was to, uh, to punish Egypt because Egypt, if you remember, 80 years earlier had killed all of the, all the boys under age two, all the, the Hebrew slaves of, uh, uh, two and under because they were worried about the numbers of it. And so God was rest- returning to them the justice they needed because vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And so he was looking after it. But what he does is, He says to the Israelites, I need to protect you. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to take a lamb or a goat, doesn't matter, find one. And if if you're poor and you don't have it, then a neighbor will look after you and take this lamb. And I want you to sacrifice it. I want you to cut it. And you're going to pour the blood into the basin. And then you're going to take that blood and you're going to put it around your doorposts and the header, the, the lintel as they call it. And then you're going to, consume the lamb, the Passover feast that night. And then God says, and I will send a destroyer and he will pass through the land, but any house that has the blood on the doorpost, I will pass over. And that's hence we get the name Passover. And that's sort of what we have. And so if you turn, I'm going to read to you Exodus chapter 12 in verses 12 and 13. We're going to read again, here are the instructions. God says in verse 12, for I will go through the land of Egypt on that night. And I will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. Again, he's sending a message, not just to Egypt, but to the whole world. And it works because when they get to the promised land, to Canaan, even the people in Canaan have heard, don't mess with Yahweh. He's the one true God. Verse 13, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So I've always understood that story that, that the Egyptian or the Israelites, sorry, when they paint the blood on the doorpost and on the lintel, God would see it and he would pass over, hence the name, Passover. And he would then go to and find an Egyptian household without the blood and he would go in and he would then take the firstborn, both man and beast. But this is where both understanding covenant and a little word study comes into play. So there's two two Hebrew words that we need to know. First Hebrew word is the word abar. Can you say that? Simple word, right? Abar. And it, it means to pass through or to cross over. In fact, some scholars believe that Hebrew the word, the name Hebrew, Abram, the Hebrew that we saw last week, actually the word Hebrew der- is a derivative of a bar because Abram was across the river. He was from Mesopotamia. He was on the other side of the Euphrates and he was passing through. He didn't have a home. 
And so he was Abram the Abar, Abram the guy passing through, Abram the guy who'd crossed over, Abram the Hebrew. That's so what some scholars believe. And it's used talking about Abram. In Genesis 12, that Abram Abard, he crossed through, passed through Canaan. Or when Israel, when they finally leave uh, Egypt and the, the Red Sea is split, they crossed over on dry land. They literally abard on dry land. So this word abar is more about spatial. It's, it's more about distance and physical. You're passing through, you're crossing over. That's how this word is used. The second word is significant is the word pasach. Say the word pasach. That's a fun word to say, isn't it? Right? Basak. And it, it means to jump over or to leap over. It's a little bit different. It's, it's actually a covenant word. Meaning if, you are, if you're doing this Basak, you are doing it related to covenant. So you remember the story about um, Elijah and, and Mount Carmel? Remember the battle of the, of the gods? And he challenged the prophets of Baal. And they said, well, you build an altar, we'll build an altar. And, and whoever God can consume the sacrifice on its own, that's the one true God. And so he, Elijah sits back and he lets the what, 400 prophets of Baal create this altar. And they began to pasok, it says, around it. They began to leap over it. Now, now you read that in our English translation and, and it seems kind of silly, right? That was, just leaping around like dances. Is that what they're doing? It just seems as ridiculous as what you saw me do, right? So it doesn't make any sense. But when you understand covenant, they were trying to invoke Baal through covenant. That's what they were doing. And you read, they were cutting themselves. Why were they cutting themselves? The blood covenant. They're trying to provoke Baal or invoke Baal through covenant, but it didn't happen. That's what this word Pesach means. To to leap over or step over in a covenant action. Does that make sense? So a bar is, is more of a passing through, whereas Pesach is a covenant step over. Now let's read it. Let's read the passage again in, in Exodus. In Exodus 12, verse 12. For I will go through the land. That's the word a bar. God says, I will pass through the land of Egypt. And on that night, I will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. Verse 13, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will besock. I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you. When I strike the land of Egypt, here's the thing. God didn't pass over. He didn't skip those houses. When he's saying, I will Pesach, he's actually saying, I will cross the threshold and I will enter into your home. Do you see it? God's there. He entered into covenant to be with the people of Israel. Now, to prove that I'm not just making this up, let's skip down in, uh, in, to verse 21. Of, of Exodus 12, verse 21. Then Moses said for all the elders of Israel and said to them, go and take for yourselves lambs according to your families and slay the Passover lamb. That word is Pesach. In fact, the Passover meal is essentially the, the Pesach meal. It's a covenant. It's a reminder, a, re, a reminder of the covenant that they're celebrating. In verse 22, you shall take a bunch of hyssop 
and dip it in the blood. Basically that hyssop makes a paintbrush and you will dip in the blood, which is where? In the basin, in the threshold, right? All the signs of a threshold covenant are there. Take the lamb, sacrifice it, put the lamb's blood in the basin, take the, the bread, the, the brush, dip it into the basin. And then he says, and then apply some of the, br- the blood, which is in the basin to the lentil, which is the header and the two doorposts. And this is important. And none of you shall go outside the door of this house until morning. Just remember that. We'll come back to that in a moment. Verse 23 though, for the Lord will pass through a bar or Pesach, a bar. He will cross over. He will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will Pesach pass over the door and he will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to spite, to smite you. God's inside the building. He's inside the home. He's entered into covenant. And he says, I will protect you. I will provide for you. I will care for you. You're safe here. And the destroyer passed over their homes. Not God though. God was in the homes with them. He was right there. Isn't that a cool story? Is that it though? Just knowledge is interesting. A little bit of trivia. Do you know what the word Pesach means? Try that Monday morning, tomorrow morning at work, right? It's much more than that. You see, the Passover was a picture of something. It was what the Bible calls a type, meaning it, it really wasn't the, the deal. It was pointing to something. That's the deal. It's like, it's like a sign for McDonald's, right? A sign for McDonald's isn't McDonald's. It's just pointing you to McDonald's, right? To goodness and glory and wonder, right? That's what it's doing. Well, that's what the Passover is. It's pointing you and I to the real thing. And who is the Passover lamb? Jesus is. He's the Pesach lamb. And remember what we said earlier about what, what's slaughtered shows value. What was sacrificed for you? That's incredible. God says, there's only one thing that can truly show you the value that I bestow upon you. It's the blood of my son, God himself. That's what God thinks about you, Michael. Unbelievable. And he sacrifices that blood and he's, he's poured it into the basin in the threshold. And he's taken that blood of Jesus and put it on the doorpost and the header. And, and then God says, I am now going to step over into covenant with you. And I'm going to abide with you. I'm going to come and make a home with you. As Jesus says in Revelation 3.20, behold, I stand at the door knocking. Whoever opens their door, I will step over the threshold. I will enter into covenant with you and I will dine with you. I will will abide with you. And that's what God's wanting to do. He wants to look after us. He wants to care for us. He wants to, to make sure that everything you need is looked after in him. Remember the instruction that God gave the Israelites in Egypt? Stay in the house. Don't go out. Stay here. You'll be protected. 
That made me think about John 15. Right, John 15, he, Jesus is using this illustration of the vine and the branches, and he, and he says to them about abide in me and I in you. What's interesting in that passage, I think it's in verses uh, three and four-ish in chapter 15. The word abide shows up four times. The first time, it's a one-time act. The next three times, it's ongoing present tense, continual. What does that mean? Well, the first abide is open the door, let Jesus in, enter into the covenant. And if you put your faith in Jesus as best you know how for salvation, that's what you've done. You've entered into a threshold covenant with him. And Jesus says, mi casa su casa. What's mine is yours. My strength, my power, my grace, my mercy, my love, my forgiveness, my wisdom, whatever you need, I've got it. It belongs to you now. And I'm gonna look after you. But then he goes on and he says, now abide in me. Keep abiding. How long? Right now. Full till when? Right now. What about later? Right now. A constant present tense abiding in him. Because what are we tempted to do? Go outside the house and go and face this world on our own. Try to, try to muster up the strength and the wisdom and the power in our own strength, according to the flesh. Take on the destroyer. Take on this world. And it always ends in misery and death. And so God says, stay in the house, stay here. I'll look after you. I'll protect you. I'll give you everything you need. So stay close, stay tight. Trust me, live with me, abide with me. Because everything you need is in me. Stay close. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.